Well, our passage for this morning is the same passage that was just read. It's a passage we've been meditating on now for several weeks. It comes to us from John chapter 11, and it's the story of Lazarus. And the reason we're looking at the story of Lazarus is because we believe that that story gives us insight into what it means to actually walk in newness of life, in resurrection life with Jesus. And so I think it's only right that before we dive into that text and look at that story one more time, that we allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message that he has for us this morning. So I would invite you to please bow your heads and pray with me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you are risen. You are risen indeed. Your tomb is empty. And because of that, we have resurrection life. And so, Lord, as we come before your word seeking to know how to walk in resurrection life, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be opening our hearts and our minds to receive the message that you have for us. And God, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as I said, we're looking again at John chapter 11, this very, very famous story in which Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And one of the things that we've been saying throughout this series is that what gives Jesus the authority to call Lazarus from his tomb is the fact that Jesus' own tomb was empty, that Jesus himself would rise again to new life. And as a result, he has authority over life and death. But the other reason we're looking at the story is because we believe that there will come a day when Jesus will speak the same words to us that he spoke to Lazarus. That there will be a day when Jesus will come again. He will call us by name and he will say, come out and that we will rise to new life. But we believe that that resurrection life isn't just something that's going to happen to us on the day that Christ returns, but actually that Jesus gives us resurrection life now in the present. In fact, we we heard it said by Jesus in our passage that was read just a moment ago. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So Jesus is saying is that resurrection life that he has, that he gives, is something that we have even now. That through faith in him, we are experiencing that new life. It begins today. Jesus follows up those words with a question. He asks the question, do you believe this? And so our question throughout the series is, do we? Do we believe that we have resurrection life through Christ? I think he would say, yes, yes, we do. We believe that we have resurrection life through Jesus. But oftentimes, as we go about our daily lives, we find that there are many ways and many experiences that we have that, where we don't really feel like we're walking in that resurrection life. We've been talking about the fact that all of us is bound up still in grave clothes, clothes which keep us living in our old ways of living Grave clothes which keep us bound in the old way of life. And so, and as a result, we don't experience the abundant life that Christ has for us. Last week, Pastor Mark told us that it's important to name those grave clothes. And we looked at five very typical, very common grave clothes that often burden people. Things like self-rejection, disappointment, guilt, shame, and fear. 
See, these five grave clothes often bind us. They often keep us from following God. They often keep us from believing in the promises of God and and really embracing the resurrection life that he gives. And oftentimes, we try to mask over these grave clothes by, by dressing them up in perfumes and in spices, things like success and wealth and creature comforts. But the truth is, is as, as nice smelling as those things are, they are still grave clothes. They still bind us. It's the reason we've been handing out these grave clothes as a way of reflecting and saying, well, which of these five currently binds me that I need to be set free from? And so this morning, we're going to be talking about how do we take off the grave clothes? What does it take to remove them? And there are really two truths about grave clothes that we have to talk about and wrestle with this morning. See, the first truth is this. You can't remove your grave clothes alone. You can't remove your grave clothes alone. And there are a couple reasons why it's hard for us to remove our own grave clothes. The first reason is that quite simply, sometimes we don't even know that we have them. That when Pastor Mark says, hey, we need to be able to name our grave clothes, for some of us, that's really hard to do because we don't even realize that we're bound up in these grave clothes at all. That oftentimes we can become too comfortable with them, a little too familiar with them. There's one person in this picture of the Lazarus story that I really want to focus on that kind of helps to illustrate my point. See, I love this woodcut picture of the raising of Lazarus because you have Jesus there, right? And he has his hand out and he's calling Lazarus forth from the tomb. And then you have Lazarus and he's still bound in those grave clothes, but he's bound in, in almost a posture of prayer, asking to be fully set free. But there's one other person that I love in this picture, and it's this guy right there. I love that guy because you can tell he's one of the guys, he's, he's there with his hands on the stone. He's one of the guys who's helped move the stone out of the way, but he has his hand over his nose and mouth in shock, but also kind of in disgust, right? Because Lazarus had been in that tomb for four days and until Jesus rose him from the dead, his body was decaying. Those spices and those perfumes would not have been powerful enough to hold off the stench of decay for very long. And you can imagine that opening that tomb for the first time, that he would have gotten a pretty strong whiff of what was inside. Now, I have to wonder, you know, was Lazarus aware that he smelled? Did Lazarus know? Like, did he wake up and realize, oh, man, I need to take a shower? Or was he just like completely oblivious? Now, I don't, I don't know, but I do know that there are certain smells that you can get used to, that everybody else knows they're going on, but you can kind of get past, you can kind of get used to. And, and again, let me kind of illustrate my point. I entered high school in 1998. That was two years after a certain product was released on the market that was taking high schools and particularly teenage boys by storm. That product was Axe Body Spray. Axe Body Spray was released in 1996, so by the time I was a freshman, people were using this thing like crazy. And Axe had a brilliant marketing campaign that I am convinced was targeted at my demographic, at young high school males. 
Because if you watched any of the Axe commercials, you know kind of how they go. There's some guy, he's not really attractive. Maybe he's short or scrawny, not really good looking. Maybe he's a little unkempt, but he gets like one spray of Axe body spray. And all of a sudden these women come out of nowhere and they just start like smelling his hair and wanting to touch him. And you kind of you get the point. I can't even show these commercials in church. Okay, they're just so inappropriate. But, but high school guys loved this because they believed that Axe body spray was their answer. It was the answer to never having to take a shower again. <laughs> because I remember after gym class, I would walk into the locker room and I would just get hit by this haze that stung the eyes and burned the nostrils. As my fellow classmates, rather than taking a shower, rather than going for some like normal deodorant, were sitting there with cans of Axe body spray just... <gasps> like hosing them down full cans of the stuff they would hang their shirts up in the lockers and be like and then after they were thoroughly drenched in axe body spray they'd put those clothes on and they would confidently strut out into the hallways and there was some flocking going on but it was flocking in the other direction as girls ran from them with their, with their hands over their noses and mouths with tears in their eyes because it was just so overwhelming, whatever that, that bear pepper spray was that the boys were using. <laughs> and quite honestly, what, what these guys needed to hear was, please don't do that. Just take a shower. Seriously, it's so much better. Because all they were doing was masking up the stench. They were just trying to cover it over. And honestly, this smell wasn't very appealing. And what they needed is somebody in their life to come and say, dude, you stink and you need to take a shower. But the truth is, is we can get, we can get pretty accustomed to some smells. We can get pretty accustomed to our grave clothes and to the stench that they give off. And the reality is, is that we need someone's help, someone to come along and tell us, hey, that smells. You need some help taking that off. Even being able to name our grave clothes requires the help of others. But there are other reasons that it's difficult and hard to take off our grave clothes. One of the other reasons it's difficult and hard is because of what went into embalming someone in those days. You see, one of the things that the, the pastors found out as we were doing some research on the Lazarus story is the fact that it involved about 40 pounds of materials to embalm someone in Jesus' day. 40 pounds of cloth and of spices and of perfumes were put on that body in order to mask up the, the stench of decay and to get the body ready for burial. They would cover the body in oil and in spices and perfumes, and then they'd wrap strips of linen around it, and then they'd cover it over with more perfumes and more spices and wrap strips of linen around it. And they would just keep repeating this process over and over and over again until the grave clothes basically stuck to the body. And so you can imagine that Lazarus, on the day that he was raised from the dead, trying to get up, covered in 40 pounds of this stuff, his hands and his feet bound with cloth that stuck to his skin. And now he's told, we have to take that off. I mean, how would that feel? I'd imagine it was pretty uncomfortable, right? It would be like having a head-to-toe Band-Aid on, and somebody says, hey, i got to pull that sucker off. And I don't know about you, like pulling off a Band-Aid hurts. 
And I'm convinced that my kids actually hate taking off band-aids more than they hate getting cuts on their skin because you say, hey, it's time to take that band-aid off. And they're like, don't touch me because it hurts. And now imagine that you have one covering you head to toe and someone says, I'm just, I'm just going to rip that off. Your face would probably be like this dude's face, right? It hurts. It's painful. It's uncomfortable when you got to pull off that Band-Aid. And it's not a quick process. I mean, you're told that when you take off a Band-Aid, you, the faster the better, right? But think about it. He's wrapped in 40 pounds of cloth. This would not have been an easy, quick process. It would have been long and time-consuming. And then it gets worse, because think about this. What was Lazarus wearing underneath those grave clothes? Nothing. So to be released from his grave clothes, one, means that the stench needs to be named. Two, that it's a process that's going to be painful and long. And then finally, three, underneath it, he's naked, he's vulnerable. See, the reason why it's hard for us to remove those grave clothes, those grave clothes of self-rejection, of fear, of guilt, of shame, and of disappointment, is because, quite honestly, it's painful. It's uncomfortable. It is a long, drawn-out, lifelong process of removing layer after layer. And honestly, it's a little bit vulnerable. We have a hard time admitting that we wrestle with these things because of the pain that we know it's going to cause, because of the discomfort that's going to come, because of the vulnerability that we just don't want exposed. And so the question is, well, what do we do? How do our grave clothes come off? And to answer that question, I want to look at another detail in this story. It's a very small one, but it's very important. You see, after Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb, we read that the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Think about that for a moment. Jesus has just called Lazarus, who's been dead for four days, back to life to full life, and he did it with a word. But now, that Je- but now that Lazarus is coming out of the tomb, Jesus does nothing to remove his grave clothes, at least not anything with his own hands. Jesus instead turns to the people around him and he says, now you have a job to do. You need to unbind him and let him go. See, Jesus wants Lazarus to be able to walk in full freedom, but he entrusts that responsibility to a community of people. And what's so amazing is how how risky that would have been, because in Jesus' day, to touch anything that was dead would have made you ceremonially unclean. But now Jesus has reversed the whole scheme. He's brought Lazarus back from the dead and he's saying to the community, I want you to go and unbind him and set him free to live the new life that I've just given him. And this tells us something about grave clothes and how we deal with them. It tells us that it takes the help of a resurrection community to remove our grave clothes. It takes the help of a resurrection community to remove our grave clothes. In fact, if you look at the New Testament, you find over and over again how important community is when it comes to walking the resurrection life. 
One of my favorite passages is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. It says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. What I love about that passage is it's saying we are looking forward to that day when Jesus comes again. But in the meantime, we have a resurrection life that we are called to walk in. And so it, this passage is filled with these one another phrases where it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's encourage one another all the more as we see that resurrection day approaching. You see, what it's saying is it's saying in order to live the resurrection life, you need to be in a resurrection community. And in fact, if you read through the New Testament, there are over 50 places where this one another phrase is used. And in almost all of them, it's talking about the responsibility that we have as God's family of walking together in new life of helping one another deal with the grave clothes, of taking those off and walking in the freedom that Christ has given us. Because resurrection life is a gift. It's a gift that's given by God. It's a gift that we actually receive in our baptism. You see, when we are baptized, we are told that we now have resurrection life. In fact, in the book of Romans, Paul puts it this way. He says that, do you not know that any of us who's been baptized has been baptized into Christ's death? And we believe that if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. You see, in the baptismal waters, you are given the gift of resurrection life. Furthermore, God gives you his Holy Spirit, the spirit within you to empower you to walk in resurrection life. It's an incredible gift that has nothing to do with us. It's something that he gives out of his love and his grace in your baptism that you give get the gift of resurrection life but it's in the church that you learn to walk in resurrection life you see that's what it means to actually be the church it's not a place that we go to it's not a service we attend on sunday morning it's a, the family of god it's people who are also have received resurrection life people who have the holy spirit who now are walking together with one another as they learn to live out that resurrection life in faith and that's a gift that we are given by God through Jesus Christ. This is why St. Paul talks about the church as the body of Christ. It is Christ removing the grave clothes, but it's him doing it through his resurrection community. And the truth is, is that we need this. I need this. Because when I'm burdened by, by the grave clothes of self-rejection, I need a community that's going to come along and to tell me that I have been adopted into the family of God through Christ Jesus. That when I wrestle with fear, I need brothers and sisters who are going to hold me up and say that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord. That when I'm burdened, by, the sh by, by guilt, just crushed under the weight of guilt, I need a family that's going to say, you are forgiven by God. And when I feel ashamed of who I am, I need a family of faith, a community that's going to come along and is going to tell me you are loved by your heavenly father. And when I'm wrestling with disappointment, I need the church to be there to tell me 
that in Christ Jesus, all the promises of God find their yes. See, we need each other. That this family of faith is a gift given by God to us to help us walk in resurrection life. So what does it mean for us to be a resurrection community? Well, Stephen Smith in his book, The Lazarus Life, says that there's really four characteristics of a resurrection community. The first characteristic of a resurrection community is that they are places of safety. They're places of safety where, where I, wrestling with my grave clothes and wondering if it's going to hurt and wondering if people are going to judge me, can come and know, hey, we're not here to hurt you, we're here to help you. That I can trust people with what's going on in my life underneath the surface and know that rather than hearing words of, of criticism, what I'm going to hear is words of love and experience actions of help. They need to be safe places. But the other characteristic of resurrection communities is that they are places where people share their stories. Where I know I can come and I can share my story and that people are actually going to listen. They're not going to jump to pat answers. They're not going to try to fix right away. They're going to allow me to share my story and then they're going to enter in and walk with me in my story. And help me take my next steps with Jesus. The third characteristic of resurrection communities is that they are full of grace. They are places that are filled with people who have the Holy Spirit. People who've been forgiven by God. Who know that even though they've done wrong, God loves them, that God forgives them, and that it's out of the grace they've received that they give grace to others who are hurting. They're places that are full of grace. And last but not least, they extend true hospitality. They welcome all, regardless of what background they come from. This is what it means to be a resurrection community. And as we embrace our calling to be a resurrection community, we will live out these amazing words from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the Father of all compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. You see, to be a resurrection community is first and foremost to know that we are forgiven by God, that we have received his comfort, his grace, his new life, and that it's out of the abundance of that that we then comfort others. I mean, think about Lazarus for just a moment. Lazarus has experienced suffering and death. He knows what it's like to be buried, but he also knows that there's new life in Christ. He knows that Christ can raise us from the dead because he's experienced it. And can you imagine the rest of Lazarus's life? Walking with people who maybe are going through illness, people who are going through sickness, people who are experiencing pain and saying, I know that God loves you and that God can raise you to new and resurrected life. See, I don't know whether or not this is true, but church tradition tells us that the Lazarus actually went on to be a bishop in Cyprus, that he spent the rest of his life going from town to town, from city to city, telling people that God is the God who brings the dead back to life. And when they said, how do you know? He's like, because I was there, because I experienced it. I know there's new life. Your story of God giving you grace and forgiveness can be the way in which others hear that there is new and resurrection life, that there is healing, 
that death is not the end, that pain and suffering are not their story, that there's something beyond self-rejection and fear, guilt, shame, and disappointment. There's abundant life with Christ who calls us by name and says, come out. See, we have the responsibility as God's people to be about unbinding people, helping them take off the grave clothes and letting them run in the new life and freedom that God has given them. And that's my prayer for us. That's what it means to be an Easter people. And so my prayer is that we would indeed be a resurrection community, a place where people can come and they can, they can have their grave clothes removed. They, they know that we are there to help them walk in newness of life, that they might experience God's love, forgiveness, grace, and salvation. And so this morning, I want us to do something as an act of prayer. Throughout this series, we've been handing you these strips of cloth, these little grave clothes. And what we're going to do in just a moment is I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to sing a hymn. And during that hymn, I want to invite you to come forward with that strip of cloth. And if it's your desire, if it's your prayer to be a part of a resurrection community, if it's your prayer that God would help you not only remove your grave clothes, but to help others in removing theirs, then I want you to take that strip of cloth and I just want you to lay it at the feet of the cross. As an act saying, Jesus, through your people, through your resurrected community, help us to become a place that helps others remove their grave clothes, that's about unbinding people and setting them free. And so with that, I want to pray and then invite you to come forward. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you not only call us by name from the tomb, but then you bring us into a family and say, unbind them. Let them go. We thank you that because your tomb is empty and you are risen, that means that our tombs one day will be empty and we will be risen. We will be risen indeed. So Jesus, we pray that we would, we would begin living that resurrection life out now together in this family, in this community, and that we would be about helping others to experience freedom and new life through you. So help us to lovingly unbind people's grave clothes, to be a place of grace and mercy and forgiveness. We pray all this through our Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for spending some time in God's Word with us during this message. It was recorded live in worship at Trinity Church in Lyle, Illinois, where God is leading us on our mission to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Would you like to know more about a relationship with Christ or more about Trinity, who we are, what we believe, and where and when you might join us in worship or a growth group? Please visit our website at tlc4u.org. That's the letters T-L-C, the number four, and the letter U.org. May God bless you and yours abundantly through Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening.